everybody. This is Supergirl. Okay, I think I got it. Oliver. We know. White Canary. The Adam Firestorm. He wins. Hey everybody, this uh, is Alex. This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network. Um, you can go over to the BatmanUniverse.net to sign up for the Patreon thing. And you can take a TBU feedback survey at surveymonkey.com slash r slash TBU feedback. Nicely done, Dame. Nicely oh, done. Oh, and this is episode number 124. <laughs> See, you caught yourself on that one. Yeah. Where you got the episode number in there. You did. This was, it's getting better, especially when you had the new Patreon uh, info to give. So. Yeah, I mean, I totally forgot about that because it, it's it's been changed up from the, um, the, the server cost drive to the Patreon. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and you put in the address. So it's patreon.com slash Batman Universe. So you can <laughs> go and... Uh, Support the support the uh, the website, right? Yep, and then you get some cool perks as far as the the amount of donations that you make on there. So yeah, See, be sure to check it out. What are the perks? There's some for where you could please uh, forget like an uncut, unedited version of the main Batman Universe podcast, is, or uh, I think for I don't remember what the higher amount is, but to, I believe you could be a guest or be on like, for a topic of a discussion for one of the episodes. So. Oh, really? Yeah, there's quite a few different levels on there. So, pledge one dollar, pledge one dollar or more per month. TBU thank thanks you in helping support us in bringing content to Bat fans around the world. Uh, if you pledge five dollars or more per month, after giving this amount, you will receive a shout out on one of our social media accounts. If you pledge ten dollars or more per month. After giving this amount, you will receive the same level, or you 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 will receive the same as the five dollar level, as well as a mention of thanks on either one of the flagship podcasts, the Batman Universe podcast or the Batman Universe comic podcast. If you pledge twenty five dollars or more per month, um, you will receive both rewards at the five and ten dollar level, as well as both raw, uncut, unedited versions of the Batman Universe pod comic podcasts episodes for the month yeah but don't, don't they go for like a long time <laughs> that might be a pretty good perk you get it's like a whole other show so you, you get like a four hour podcast yeah. <laughs> wow fifty dollars you can go fifty dollars tim um and what do you get for fifty dollars Ability to request a specific comic story arc collected in a single trade or smaller or television episode to be reviewed on a future TVU, TVU flashback special. And there's a $100 level, and that is everything before this, and or everything from all the levels, plus you get to be a guest host alongside TBU staff on the TBU flashback special that features your choice, choice from the $50 level. So it, was that the last one? Yeah. So so if you if you donate a hundred dollars, you can pick the subject of the TBU flashback special, and you can be on it. Yeah. So if there's like a 
Well, if, if I was doing that, I mean, I'd obviously have to pick something from Batman the Animated Series. Yes. <laughs> Talk about that probably for hours, though. Of course, of course. Or you could pick something very random that no other podcast would talk about <laughs> i guess if you have your choice they have to do it so yeah what if it's something really obscure that that nobody can get their hands on but you can yeah. <laughs> like it's like a one-off comic from the 1960s or something then hey you're donating the hundred dollars yeah look for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> so. i mean they have to do it right yeah they, they made the the promise so there's there's your incentive to pick something very very <laughs> rare or that's you know not well known but they'd have to try and track down yeah what would they do if that happened go to a comic auction shop or something like that <laughs> uh, I, I know what it should be everyone has to go find a, a, the first the detective comics number 27 <laughs> the first print one <laughs> well I mean they made reprints of it so that, no, you can't, can't be a reprint it has to be a reprint <laughs> it's the only way it'll work <laughs> get that old feel of the comic paper, the smell of it. You got to get that whole 1939 experience. <laughs> yeah, what would happen then? I mean, uh, the battery was probably have to shut down. Yeah. <laughs> Spending all that money just to get copies of Detective Comic 27. <laughs> That'd be weird. But um, anyway, uh, we can do our um, minute by minute commentary. This is uh, minute 73 to 74. So. Um, get your HD DVD, get your Laserdisc, get your VHS, get your Beta, get your projector, um, soon to be DVD. Uh, and, yeah, and Blu-ray probably too. Yeah, Blu-ray. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm surprised DVD's not dead yet, but I can't not everyone still got lots of Blu-ray. I know. Yeah. But I guess um, Blu-ray, yeah, like you said, Blu-rays and that uh, king of the home media thing. Yeah, because not there are some people who can't really tell that big of a difference between DVD and Blu-ray. Like, yeah, what really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I was one of those people until I got a a better TV, mm. <laughs> a, a, a bigger TV, an HD TV. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. So, um, I, I I was one of those people. So, I can well, kind of understand that. But I can't believe they still make DVDs. Um, I just well, thought that all... you know with things like iTunes and mm-hmm. um, I guess Amazon or uh, the Google one, whatever that is. What bugs me is when they make DVDs of something, not Blu-rays. Like, come on. <laughs> My biggest gripe right now is the new Ninja Turtles show. It's not new anymore. Back in 2012, they air it in HD. It's made in HD. They only put it out on DVD, though. It's like, how can they not have it on Blu-ray? Probably because it's cheaper. And there's there's not enough people that'll buy the the Blu-ray box sets or whatever. Yeah, and you know, we're mainly targeting young viewers and kids and probably not only going to get Blu-rays, but they're forgetting the older Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fans like myself. (laughs) So I just been, I've been buying the seasons off Amazon, but I'd still love to have a Blu-ray set of those. Why do you buy them on Amazon for? It's just convenient that way. I already yeah. have an Amazon Prime account, and I know I still got a paper, but that's where I usually like on my Xbox. I watch stuff through Amazon Video and all that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm surprised they have Amazon on the Xbox. Yeah, because like, that's I don't have like an Apple TV or anything. So if I were to get yeah. it through iTunes, I couldn't really watch them on my TV. No, but you, you would have thought Microsoft would have. Said, oh no, you can only buy movies and TV shows through 
through us, through through Microsoft. Mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because they do offer them. Yeah, because because I think uh, PlayStation does that. If I'm yeah, not mistaken, PlayStation TV. Yeah, it's like PlayStation View or yeah, something. Yeah. Speaking of PlayStation, speaking of video games, how are you liking uh, Final Fantasy 15? Yeah, Final Fantasy VII, or Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for Final Fantasy VII HD remake. <laughs> so, that's still on my mind. But Final Fantasy XV, so far, I think it's been worth the wait. It's a different type of Final Fantasy. It's more open world than any other one previously. It's reminding me more of Red Dead Redemption than a Final Fantasy game. It's like kind of how the landscape looks and the different side quests you get. It's like but, that open world kind of thing. Mm, yeah. Exactly. And I haven't progressed that far in the story because I keep getting sidetracked by side quests. <laughs> I bump into someone to give me something to do. Like, okay, I better do that. I'm about to go progress more in the story, but I, like I said, run into some monsters or some guy gives me a quest. I got to take out some monsters. Okay, I'll do that first. Earn some money. So I keep getting sidetracked. I'm out eight hours in now, but haven't gone too much into the main story so far. So <laughs> I got to, because I really want to get into the story. And I, kind of got to put the side quest on hold for a little bit but it's hard <laughs> is it worth a buy though because i'm kind of on the fence about it because it looks really good um the reviews are really good um, but it's just one of those things where is it too big of a game where it becomes inconvenient no, i wouldn't say inconvenient well you can let it be if you w- yeah. want to try to get everything done but i'm sure it- it could still be playable if you just want to mainly do the story on it and do a few side quests here and there because the combat's pretty fun too. It's simple, yeah. but it's it's like it's not a active time based or turn based RPG like Final Fantasy's been known for. It's more action oriented, where you know you just move your character around, hit the attack button, and do different attacks with different weapons. So that's a different dynamic to it. It's simple, but still fun to play as you're in battle mode. Hmm. The only yeah. thing is that the traveling. I mean, have them bothered me too too much just yet but you're in a car a lot where you're traveling to different destinations and there's not a fast travel option on every place you have to go only to places where you've been and sometimes they charge you a little money for that not real yeah. money but in-game money <laughs> so, so if you want to skip time you have to pay a little bit but right. they haven't been too bad like maybe two or three minutes to get to one destination to the next but you get to play classic final fantasy music in your car while you're driving so. <laughs> yeah but See that's the thing. Like, I I bought uh, Fallout Four, and mm-hmm. it's a great game. It looks great. It plays great. It's it's a great game. The only problem with the game is it's way too big, and you, you spend a long time going to some place, walking to some place, right? And okay. once you get there, you got to figure out how to um, sort of start the quest, the mission, or the quest, or whatever you want to call it. And that's really irritating. It's like, it's like oh, you gotta wait till nighttime. Okay, so you wait till nighttime, but then you gotta find one person who's walking around someplace, and then you find that one person, and that one, you, you enter into dialogue with that person, and that, and then that person has to, or you gotta trick that person into giving you something to start the quest or something. You know, it, 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 uh-huh. it, is it irritating like that? It's a little like that, but not. Like you're saying, irritating because it's pretty simple. You get a quest, you go do it, and then you go back to the person. That's it. But there are certain things where, like, there are these hunts where you hunt down monsters. Some of them only appear at night, yeah. So you can't. You have to wait at night to finish certain hunts. But you can just, you know, rest at your camp till night, or wait at the bar or restaurant. The person who gives you the quest till night, 
it, it, it immediately changes to night, so it's up to you. But then when you go out, you just get the monster return back and it's done. It's not like you're saying you have to trick somebody to give you this right, or whatnot. Right. At least not yet. I haven't gone to any quests, but so far that is pretty straightforward. Okay. Hmm. So they have. I don't know if they have a demo of the actual game because they put out some demos beforehand. But one, the one I played was separate. It was like its own little self-contained story. Yeah. But maybe you should check out to see if they have a actual demo of the game that you can kind of get a feel for to see if you dig it. Yeah, maybe I'll try that because, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Final Fantasy, mm-hmm. um, but with that being said, it looks really good and it's getting good and reviews and stuff. Uh, I don't know, Jim. <laughs> I know, that's a dilemma. I'd hate for you to spend 60 bucks and then you don't get into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it, it becomes a thing in my library that I never downloaded, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, did did you see anything you liked from the the PS Expo thing? Yeah, that just happened today. Yeah. Well, as we're recording this, December third, yeah. uh, Marvel vs. Capcom Four or Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite as <laughs> the official title. But I always loved those games. So anytime we get a new entry in the Marvel vs. Capcom series, I'm going to be excited for it. So that should be cool. And then Crash Bandicoot remake actually <laughs> looks really good. Yeah. It took them a while, but I, I like the old Crash game, so yeah. I'll, I'll probably pick that up. But I have a feeling I know which one you're excited for. Which one? The Last of Us. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was rumored that they were going to do it. And, uh, you know, that it was going to, they were going to announce it at the PS Expo. But it's not, it's one of those things. I mean, especially with Naughty Dog. Because just because they made a bunch of sequels to Uncharted doesn't mean they're going to do it with with The Last of Us. Especially after... uh, you know how the last of us ended um it's it's not really a game that needed a sequel but um yeah i'm 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 happy that they're gonna do another one uh it's it looks really good even from that look that short little teaser that we got so yeah i'm definitely excited for that one i was hoping they'd show more final fantasy 7 hd remake but i guess that's still a bit of ways off <laughs> yeah is that thing that they're ju- they're just gonna keep on like releasing these little short clips of it and it's never actually going to get done like um uh, well it's yeah. it's square enix so you never know especially <laughs> on final fantasy games how long they take <laughs> but they gotta have because i think they're planning to release it in chapters like they're not going to release the whole full game they're going to release it in different chapters or episodes whatever they're going to call them okay. but they have to release in 2017. It's at least the first one because it's the 20-year anniversary of the game. It'd be <laughs> such a wasted marketing tie-in not to have <laughs> the first part of that come out next year. So that's at least what I'm hoping for. We get the first chapter of the HD remake of Final Fantasy VII in 2017. Yeah, but people seems like a no-brainer. But people already know the story to the to Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, yeah, but look at the graphical leap. You're going to be experiencing it in a whole new way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but if they're going to do the episodic it. releases then they, they should at least add something to it, you know? I'm sure they will. They're changing the gameplay style of it already. It's not going to be turn-based. It might be a little more similar to Final Fantasy XV where it's uh, more action-oriented, it seems like. Yeah. Which I I'm not too keen on. I mean, I like action-oriented games. Like I said, I've been enjoying Final Fantasy XV's combat, but yeah. I love the turn-based stuff, too. It's classic RPG style, and that's what Final Fantasy 7 was originally so I don't see why they would need to change that just you know update the graphics for the turn based battle sequences so I don't know 
it'll probably be fun, but there's a part of me that still wanted it to be the same as it was on the PlayStation 1. How come there was no um, Final Fantasy uh, 14? There was. It was an online only with a multi... Um, oh, massive, uh, you know MMOs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Oh, which uh, I'm not a fan of. I played Final Fantasy 11, which was the first MMO Final Fantasy game. Yeah. And that got I couldn't get into that. Yeah. It's one of those things where you play so long, level up your character, but then you die and it goes all for nothing. You lose all your experience points. You really? Like, <laughs> yeah, forget that. <laughs> is is that what happens in um, a 15? No, not at all. None of the main Final Fantasy games where you die and you lose your experience points. So, so why do they name these online games in the Final Fantasy series as official parts of yeah, the Final that, Fantasy series? That bugs me. They shouldn't be the number entries. They should be like the Star Wars stories entry. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> so a spinoff. Not the main saga numbers. Yeah, like a spinoff. Right? Yeah, just call it Final Fantasy Online or Final Fantasy Online Two. Final Fantasy Rogue One. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, now you got me thinking about if if there was a game where you lose experience points when you die. It kind of me thinking maybe there was in the older games, but it's been a while since I played them, so I'm not sure. Know. But it was never to the detriment that got you so upset. Yeah, it's kind of bad. I mean, you spent yeah. all this time in this, on this character, and then you die once, and you go back a level or whatever, right? Yeah, it's so frustrating. Like, because, like I said, you play like two or three hours trying to just level your character up once, and then you die by some little squirrel <laughs> or sheep or something that's overpowered. <laughs> and then it's like your day was wasted. Oh, I see. So, fourteen came out, and then it was a disaster. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. There, I think there were server issues. There's just so many problems and bugs, and then they had to relaunch it. Oh, wow. To, to, to make it actually work. <laughs> so 13 was the last um, non-online one. Yeah, the last true Final Fantasy game. Yeah, why do they do that? They, I mean, it's kind of like throwing people off. Yeah, and it bugs me because I don't play MMOs anymore. And I can't say I played every number Final yeah. Fantasy game. Well, well, I guess you're fortunate in the sense where every Final Fantasy is is its own separate story. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so that's what I love about it. You don't have to play the online one to um, understand the story in 15, you know? Exactly. Any Final Fantasy game you want to play, you can just jump right in. You don't have to worry about you know hit the history and continuing a certain story, which is great. No wonder they take so long to make. Eh, there's no excuse for how long Square takes sometimes. No. <laughs> well, I mean, they got it. And they're getting longer. The gaps are getting yeah. longer. The PlayStation era, they were cranking them out Got Final Fantasy seven and ninety seven, Final Fantasy eight and ninety nine, Final Fantasy nine and two thousand, Final Fantasy ten and two thousand one. So yeah, like all those four games almost out every year or every other year. How, and now how come it's they're not five years, yeah, ten years. <laughs> I mean, how come they're not preemptively working on them? Like you have one team that's right in the middle of making fifteen, but you have guys just starting on sixteen. Yeah, you would think. They have other projects that they're working on, too, that I think splits up the team. And that is, well, Final Fantasy XV, uh, its history, it started, you know, it started off as a kind of a side story to Final Fantasy thirteen. Yeah, yeah, right. And then be, they relaunched it, or they, they decided to make it its own thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because imagine if they 
took him forever just to put this out as Final Fantasy 13 versus. Who knows when we get the actual Final Fantasy 15? Yeah. <laughs> so they're probably good decision. You know, let's just slap Final Fantasy 15 on there. I see. I see. I don't know, Tim. I'm still on the fence, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. Um, so yeah, uh, the minute by minute commentary. This minute, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't remember how we got to Final yeah, Fantasy. Yeah, how do you? But anyway, uh, yeah, minute seventy three to seventy four. So just queue up your media to the seventy third minute, and I'm gonna give the countdown. So Tim, are you ready? Let's All do right, it. three, two, one, hit play. And Bane just kicks <laughs> Batman off. <laughs> I love seeing Batman trying to use his gadgets. I think, so. I, I think they just did that to make it a cool shot. Yeah, and it yeah, was. It was. <laughs> I love Bane's dialogue here. The best lines are in this movie. See, I realized when Bane is standing by himself, he looks really small. But when he's standing next to Batman, he looks big. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess they had to make... <laughs> Tom Hardy bigger, right? When he's standing next to Christian Bale. Man, Batman really does get pounded. Yeah, <laughs> the way this Batman Bane piled into his back with those punches. <laughs> like the only good jabs Batman got are right. <laughs> it is not really happening anymore. Yeah. And there's the end of our commentary. <laughs> Admirable, but mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> We're ending on a shot of Bane's back. Yeah. So we've gotten this is what our third episode into the sequence now. So it is lasting a while. Like I was hoping. Yeah, for. and at least we're on a fight scene. At least it's not just somebody sitting on a couch. <laughs> you <know>? Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, we uh, let's move on to our featured topic for this episode. So Tim, what is our uh, featured topic? Well, unfortunately, it got to be changed in the last minute. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to give our re- review of the fourth episode of Batman: The Telltale Series, but unfortunately, Dane, you haven't had a chance to play it yet. Yeah, I know. I think for episode for the three or two, I was the one who wasn't able to play yeah. it, and <laughs> you had to wait on me, so now I have to wait yeah. on you. Yeah, I was too conflicted over w- whether or not I should buy Final Fantasy fifteen. That's why I did. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you got the season pass for him. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Tom that's Tom why I didn't play uh, uh, episode four because I just couldn't look at my PS4. <laughs> <laughs> I was too distraught, Tim. <laughs> well, yeah. So of course, we like when we review, we both got to give our experiences of the choices we made. So we're gonna hold off on that. Hopefully, we'll be able to play it by our next episode, Dan. But uh, yeah, so I figured to have something comic book related that happened this week. The whole. Uh, CWDC TV crossover big event happened this week where you had Supergirl, Arrow, The Flash, and The Legends of Tomorrow crossover for one epic event of their alien invasion story arc. Or actually, the episodes were called Invasion, but it was being built as heroes versus aliens. Yeah, and, and you were this week. and you were on the uh, Flash podcast, right? Yeah, well, yeah. it was actually a Flash podcast. The Legends of Tomorrow podcast, Supergirl Radio, and I was representing the Quiver of the Green Arrow podcast. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the big podcast crossover for this right, event, right. which was pretty cool. Yeah, there was and, like nine people on there. And I have <laughs> so to it admit, was definitely... I, yeah, I have to admit that uh, I I listen to the Flash podcast, but I don't watch the show. Mm. <laughs> um, and is that where you? Are you like your regular listener where that's where you get your information of what's going on in the TV show or you just tune in from time to time? No, I, I tune in for every episode. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, ever since the the start of the Flashpoint thing, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I've been kind of interested in what's going on. Uh, and Andy and his uh, his team, I guess, his podcast team, do a really good job at describing like every every little thing. So, yeah, if you if you if you're not listening to Flash podcasts, you really want to do that, especially if you're a fan of uh, the DC TV stuff. Yeah, definitely. So, have any of those podcasts I listen to got like you? Urge you to watch some of the episodes this season, or is like eh, I'm getting my fix here to the podcast. No, no, they, they like I said, they do a really good job at explaining the entire episode um, and w- what's going on, you know, with the show and with the creators and stuff like that, with the actors, and and so like I I, I really don't feel a need to <laughs> watch the show. <laughs> I mean, if if it's on Netflix and I don't have anything to, to do, then I'll watch it, but. Um, well, for, for me, that's just a testament to their podcast. Yeah, for me, uh, the Flash podcast uh, with Andy uh, is is my go to. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's good for you. Yeah. So yeah, the crossover event started. Well, they were building it up as a four part uh, crossover with Supergirl, but really, it was like the last minute of Supergirl. The rest of the episode had nothing to do with it. Uh, Barry and Cisco just come to recruit her to, to, to their Earth to help them fight the aliens. So, but then they just showed that sequence in the Flash episode the, <laughs> the next night, so there's really no need to actually have that in Supergirl. It was just more of a marketing thing to say, hey, it's a four-episode crossover instead of a three, but really it was pretty much just three. <laughs> so, yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, I'll, I'm not going to go into too much spoiler detail, but I will say some spoiler stuff as far as how Yeah, but can I say so, something real fast? Yeah. Why did Supergirl get the the least amount of time. Yeah, that was really. I don't know if it's because she's like the newest one there, and they were, you know, wanted to save it till, especially on the CW, or maybe it's since they are doing their own thing with the Supergirl storyline, they didn't want to, you know, I guess have it affect it too much. But at the same time, they're doing that with Flash Arrow and Legend of Tomorrow, so I really don't know the reason why they decided not to make her show part of the crossover officially that tied into it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, That's I, a good question. I, I do have to ask, was, um, Dean Kane in the crossover, uh, episode? No, he wasn't. Oh, okay. I don't have to watch it then. <laughs> I'm only kind of a fan of, uh, Dean Kane. <laughs> did you see the episode he did appear in this season? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. He, he was in like two episodes ago. He made an appearance. Oh, he did? What did he do? Because the, the whole thing is that they thought he was dead, but they found out in season one he was alive. The, the been was involved with Cadmus. No. The, as far as, like, they, they've had him captive, and they but they might be doing experiments, experiments on him. They don't know, but Supergirl was captured at Cadmus, and he, like, revealed himself to her and helped her escape, but then didn't go with him, and yeah. now he's kind of MIA again. So. Oh, I see. But it would have been cool if he was in there because then you would have had two previous Supermen together with Brandon Ralph and Dean. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. Brandon Ralph actually did a little, or him as Ray Palmer, they did a little wink to his time as Superman yeah. in the episode. Like he was talking to Kara. He goes, you know what? She reminds me of my cousin. He has like a puzzled look on his <laughs> face, <laughs> just hinting at his time with Superman. Like I was waiting for that throughout the whole crossover, so I'm glad they got it. Yeah. That one little moment. At the end. Yeah, but. I mean, also, I should say, be- before you get into the the, the larger uh, 
or, or the other shows. What is going on with um, Arrow? Because it, it, it seems like things aren't going so well with that show. Well, I will say that it's been a far improvement over the last two seasons. I've actually been enjoying this yeah. season more than I had season three and four, especially four. Four was just awful. Yeah. But it's not quite on the level of season one or season two yet, but it's watchable and enjoyable for me. Oh. Again. <laughs> so okay. It's basically the point of the season where he's recruiting a new team for himself, which part of me thinks if a lot of the members from his old team aren't there anymore. Just have it go back to just being him, yeah. Green Arrow. Green Arrow is not usually a guy who has a large team, so that could have been a better opportunity for them to go back to that route, but they decided not to. But I will say, I do like this new team dynamic. They got character Wild Dog, who's pretty much like Casey Jones from the Ninja Turtles, <laughs> but he is a DC comic character from the 80s. And then they got Ragman, who I remember reading stories with him during the whole Infinite Crisis era. And they got Artemis, and uh, Mr. Terrific. But what I like about it is that, you know, they're new, they're calling them the new recruits on the show, which is exactly what they are. And they're not that great <laughs> as far as, you know, fighting crime out in the streets. And I like how th- they're playing to that effect where Oliver does it, you know, can't really rely on them fully like he did his other team. And I think that makes for a great dynamic as he's teaching them as they're going out on missions too and just seeing, you know, a new team kind of develop instead of. Previously, where you had like Black Canary, Speedy, and Arsenal come, it was like they just showed up and knew already how to fight. And it was just that they had been like doing this for years. When in reality, they still were kind of new yeah. to it. But with this team, you're seeing like the kinks where they're not at all working that well. They get beat up a lot. They're just showing their inexperience when they go out on the missions. And I like that aspect of it. And are they still doing the um, Oliver and Felicity thing? Where they're. Uh, that's they're, another they're kind big of... reason why the season's been more enjoyable because <laughs> that's been way like put aside uh, okay i kind of acknowledged it a little bit which you know made me roll my yeah. eyes early on the season but <laughs> it's kind of been put to bed for now and i hope it stays there forever because it's been so much better when you have to deal and with plus that. Too, we've seen it so many times i mean they're, they're, if, if, exactly. if you don't know they're doing the the bruce and rachel thing from uh batman begins where it's like oh i love her but i can't be with her because i'm batman because Except I don't this know. one sees so much more force yeah. and not natural. <laughs> yeah, so so we've seen that, uh, you know, with, with Batman Begins and Dark Knight and Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2. So, yeah, uh, ho- hopefully yeah. That, that doesn't, that that's not the main focus of the show. <laughs> yeah, thankfully this season has not been, it's the better off for Oh, and not to mention Smallville with, with Clark and <laughs> the worst offender in that game. Coming out for like 10 years, Tim. <laughs> yeah. uh, Smallville, I love you, but man, there was some rough moments in there <laughs> with, with that stuff. Yeah, it's like, oh no, I mean, I, I'm so in love with her, but she has the kryptonite necklace, so I can't hear. <laughs> yeah, that's how they ended things, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. But anyway, back to the crossover. Yeah. So it started off where... Like I said, after the Supergirl second <laughs> Flash and Cisco coming together, the Flash picks up where the alien, the Dominators, which looked pretty cool. Actually, they did a good job. That was, but it did seem like most of the budget went to making the aliens look good, and some of the other effect shots <laughs> suffered because of that. Because there were some shots of Supergirl and Flash that you could definitely tell were CG and took you out of it a little bit. But it wasn't for all the action sequences; just certain shots of it. But the aliens look cool. So the aliens come, and then Barry has to recruit everybody. And the Flash episode 
was kind of just introducing everybody together and having Supergirl interact with these characters for the first time, which was a highlight of the actual... For me, the Flash episode was the best one because of those <laughs> moments. You just got a big smile on your face when you're seeing these characters interact together for the first time and finally getting an actual Kryptonian in this universe. I mean, because that's the big kind of gripe you can have as a DC fan with the Flash and Arrow universe, as cool as it is. You know, that there's no Superman, there's no Batman yet, no Wonder Woman. So the fact that they're getting exposed to a little bit of Superman, uh, uh, his world and universe through Kara, it's pretty cool. Just the fact that they're seeing the uh, House of L logo <laughs> now in that universe was cool. So, And I liked how Oliver use Supergirl as, you know, okay, you know she's the most powerful one, we're going to train with her, like, don't hold back, everyone's going <laughs> to, like, put us through the ringer, because we're going to be going up with some aliens, and we're going to test ourselves with the most powerful alien. That was cool, where they're showing all the <laughs> members of Team Arrow, the Legends, and Flash try to go, well, not necessarily Flash, but the other heroes try to go up against her. She's just standing there, not breaking a sweat. <laughs> there are definitely no effect on her. She's just swatting people around with one little hand, <laughs> showing how overmatched they are, which is pretty cool. So, But the, that episode, it turns out, the Dominator's mind control pretty much all the heroes, including Supergirl, except for Barry and Oliver. And they go up against all of them, which was a pretty cool fight sequence. And the highlight of it was Flash taking on Supergirl. And that, those are some of the moments where the effects weren't quite up to par, <laughs> like we're used to. But there were still some great action moments with them just racing each other in Flash, used, like dodging her lasers as they're going in super speed, and they had those slow-mo shots of him dodging. It was just really cool. So the Flash episode was more of the geek out episode for me where seeing these characters together and then having them fight against each other was pretty cool to see and then with the Arrow episode that had the hard balance of continuing the crossover but also being the show's 100th and so they had kind of had to honor that and continue the crossover story for the most part I felt it worked but I think it would have been better served if the 100th episode was saved for later just so it can focus on that because that was the best part of that episode it was almost pretty much like per, per chance the dream where the dominators abducted Oliver Diggle, uh, Sarah Lance and uh, Thea and Ray Palmer and they had him like in these tubes and where they were sleeping and had put him in a dreamlike state and they were experiencing their lives as or at least for Oliver and Thea and Sarah how it would be if Oliver never got on that boat it was kind of like the what if <laughs> version right. and everything's perfect he's getting married to Laurel uh, Diggle's the green arrow now and his life is pretty much how it would be if everything went well and never got on that boat so but in those classic stories you know like like I said for Chance to Dream or for the man who has everything they find out that you know it's not real they gotta make their escape but uh, through that you get some like I said you appearances from old characters who died on the show like his mother and father and then you get uh, his old villains from the past season you see Deathstroke you see uh, Malcolm Merlin return you get Damian Dar from last season who wasn't a great villain but still <laughs> I guess you gotta put him in there to have all the villains there they just didn't yeah. have Rachel Ghoul, which I thought was kind of surprising if you're bringing in all these other villains why um why would their perfect world be um, Oliver and Laurel getting married though because before he left on that trip, wasn't he kind of a party kind of guy? And he um, wasn't he cheating on Laurel? Yeah, but the thing is, in their dream world, it's taking place in their current time. Like it is five years after 
they would have went on that boat trip, but they never did, I yeah. don't think, if I remember right. So, like, even if he was, they even referenced it where, you know, he was, like, a party playboy and all that, but he's changed since then. So yeah. they kind of played it where he was like that, but five years have gone by, and he's matured since Oh, then, I see. So. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a cool fight scene, too, seeing them go against Deathstroke and the League of Assassins and all that again. So not, there wasn't a whole bunch of League of Assassins. He's had Michael, Malcolm Merlin there and a few members there to take him on. So that was a great moment. Uh, but then what felt out of place is it continued like they had to make their escape from the Dominator ship and it turned into a sci-fi <laughs> sequence on Arrow which it was cool but it just didn't fit the overall uh, specialness of the 100th episode of looking back at the show's history and all all that's Oliver has been through so it felt a little out of place there but at the same time it was so cool to see so it worked overall in the end so and then it ended on Legends of Tomorrow where uh, this is pretty much going to make their final attack on the Dominators. And to kind of get more information on them, uh, Cisco, Felicity, and goes with two of the legends, uh, the new character, uh, Steel, or Citizen Steel in the comics, and Vixen. They go back to 1950s to when the Dominators first attacked Earth. They don't really attack, they're taking in specimens. Because the whole thing with the Dominators, they want to see if the metahumans that are showing up on Earth are going to be an actual threat to them. So before they made their attack in the current timeline, they were making you know their first observation and reconnaissance in the 1950s. So that's where they go back to time to try to get a dominator and to see you know what exactly the, the, their plan is. And that they get captured by some government agents, but they're able to escape and free the dominator in the process because they didn't want to leave him. They felt bad because he was being tortured by the government. But that turned out to be a mistake because when they travel back to the present, that's when the Dominator the Rescue revealed his plan as far as saying they're going to use a bomb to wipe out all the metahumans on Earth, because through his experience, through being tortured by just a normal human back then, what if someone like that has superpowers that could be more of a threat? But the big thing, the reveal that happened in that episode was it turns out they would leave the planet if they would, if Earth gives up Barry, because he's their prime example of someone using their powers for, you know, for doing uh, something wrong in the universe and the timeline, and they're referencing back to Flashpoint, because that's what I liked about. I didn't really talk about this because we don't talk too much about the Flash show here. But when the season three started with Flashpoint, I have to say that episode was kind of disappointing. It was nothing like what we saw in Flashpoint in the comics and the animated movies. Very simplistic, but the aftermath and the effects it's having on the current timeline. Is what's making it interesting. That's the only good part to come out of Flashpoint. Like the aftermath of it was better than the actual Flashpoint. And I like how it's continuing to have ripple effects throughout the course of this season and throughout the rest of the shows too. Because with Barry changing the timeline and changing <laughs> the fabric of it and just causing disruption, that's causing the Dominators concern. Like, what if someone is to do that throughout the universe instead of just all right? So give us Barry and we'll leave. But you know they're not going to give him up. And throughout the whole course of the episode. Barry's not everyone's he's not on the best terms with everybody having trust having them trust him because of what he did with Flashpoint especially Cisco and him going back and changing things his brother ended up being dead so that was a plot thread throughout the course of it but they all come together they're not going to give up Barry they're going to fight and Professor Stein who's Firestorm is able to come up with his daughter who's another <laughs> anomaly through time uh, come up with a device to take out the Dominators at least cause them pain to not operate the fight so that's the big epic battle sequence on the rooftop with all the characters 
fighting the Dominators, and it was really cool to see and Supergirl in action with the Flash, and having to race across the world to plant these devices on the Dominators, seeing Green Arrow and Vixen and uh, Steel and all these characters taking out the Dominators. It's really cool to see for a TV show. And so Firestorm's able to deactivate the bomb or turn it into a water element <laughs> without causing damage, and then the Dominators escape. So cool action stuff. And then my favorite part of the whole crossover probably was just the aftermath of it. Just the heroes celebrating their victory, just, you know, casually talking to each other. And it kind of established, which I actually really like, is that Oliver, Barry, and now Kara, they're like the big three of this <laughs> DC TV universe. They're like the Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, where they're the main characters and heroes that everyone looks up to. Before it was just Barry and Flash, but now I think Kara is definitely in that mix. And they just have such a great chemistry and dynamic together where you just want to see more of it. And we definitely are because Cisco gave Kara a device that lets her travel through uh, the different Earths and she can pretty much come back whenever she wants, which is cool. So it ended on a good note. And the Barry and Oliver stuff, had some they had some great moments too. They always had great chemistry. And then just showing how they're becoming the leaders of this DC TV universe amongst heroes, it really uh, showed that, I think, and took that dynamic to another level, I thought. So it was really good. There were some typical cheesy stuff that you get in these CW shows and certain decisions that make you roll your eyes but overall it was a lot of fun and I had expectations for it and it pretty much lived up to them so I really got a kick out of it and just glad that it was something unprecedented as far as superhero TV shows as far as doing a big event with different main characters from different shows woven into this one storyline for three episodes even though they built it up as four (laughs) they pulled it off really well and not making it feel forced except for that one instance i talked about in the 100th episode of arrow so overall i'd say it was a big success and definitely can't wait to see what they have up their sleeves for next year's crossover because this one was pretty big what i'm kind of hoping for is maybe kind of scale it back a bit where you don't have every main character just maybe have barry oliver and uh kara go off like maybe to another planet or something, just the three of them, or maybe one of the legends to get that show involved. Just kind of scale back the team a little bit so we don't have so many characters. It'd just have it be a more personalized story with the main ones. So that's where I would go, but who knows what they have planned. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be something just as fun as this. So so what kind of rating would you give it? I'd give it a four out of five. Oh, wow. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. You just got to go into it because I know some people were disappointed with it. And Supergirl kind of got a little short change in the Legends of Tomorrow episode, which is one of those eye-rolling moments of why. It was it was kind of a dumb reason. All that Oliver's bid through, he goes, he wants to try to get a sense of you know normalcy in the situation right now. So since she's an alien, maybe she should stay back as they're meeting these government agents, which they had a cool fight sequence, but Supergirl wasn't involved. But she was there for the last battle sequence with the aliens which was cool so little dumb choices like that is what you gotta expect but it does nothing to overfect the fun and enjoyment I had watching all these heroes come together good good yeah so I'd highly recommend checking it out it was a lot of fun uh, the Flash podcast did a really good job at describing the whole thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> like I said we had the big crossover podcast there's like nine hosts on there so yeah. I didn't get a chance to say everything but <laughs> When you got that many people, it's kind of hard to get. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I did. Uh, I did listen to that that episode. And I, after a while, it was kind of like, "Is Tim still on there?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt anybody too. Cause everyone's doing a great job sharing their points. So yeah, like, they're they're explaining it perfectly. So I'll just chime in when I'm told to. <laughs> um, so yeah, 
uh, that's it for a future topic. And now we can move on to our news, which is one thing. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a good, good thing. Um, Billy D. Williams is going to be voicing Two-Face in the Lego Batman movie. So at least we have that to look forward to. Like, yeah, finally, he gets to play Two-Face. <laughs> yeah, after playing Harvey Dent all those years ago, finally yeah. gets to play um, Two-Face. Yeah, I'm glad they made it look like Harvey or the Billy D. Williams Harvey Dent in the Lego movie too. It's not like they're just using a classic Lego figure and they're having voice him. He looks like the 1989 Billy D. Williams Harvey Dent, which I think is cool. Yeah, and it's funny that Two Face is a character now that's being voiced by these two iconic actors, Billy D. Williams and then William Shatner is voicing him. <laughs> and that's Adam West's animated movie, so <laughs> Two Face is on a roll as far as good casting. I guess so. Um... Now, now, I remember, um, you know, back before, uh, not Rogue One, um, uh, Episode 7 came out. Uh-huh. Wasn't there, like, rumors that Billy D was going to be in it? Or he's going to have something to do with with um, these new Star Wars movies? Whatever happened to that? Yeah, there was always, there was, like, rumors, nothing really concrete. And mainly a lot of just wondering or expecting it to be because, you know, you got Han, Luke, and Leia in it. Yeah. Isn't Lando going to show up in right. this? So, yeah, there's nothing on episode eight either. So I'm curious if he's going to be in it at all now. I don't know why they'd save him just for episode yeah. nine. Maybe we'll get a good story reason or a reveal in episode eight. I'm not sure. But yeah, what is? I hope they acknowledge it soon, though. Like, what happened yeah. to Lando? Is he even alive? Yeah. <laughs> what What happened to Lando, or where is Lando in in this universe? In this new? Yeah, it'd be kind of a shame if. Billy D. Williams is still around, and he'd do it. Why wouldn't you use him? <laughs> just for a, a small part, at least, to show that he's still there? Yeah. Heck, you got Nene Numb in Episode Seven. Can you have Lando? <laughs> <laughs> or um, I don't know why I was I was saying about this. What happened to Bib Fortuna? <laughs> I think in the non-canon universe, he, he died on the sail barge. Yeah, because I was about is to say, a safe assumption. I was about to say in. In um, Return of the Jedi, he didn't die, right? I believe he did on the sail barge. Really? It's, well, if you can assume everyone did, but like I said, some did and some didn't because in the old books, the Max Rebo band survived. They got off that <laughs> sail barge, so. <laughs> so I could have been for a tuna. <laughs> exactly. So, who knows? <laughs> Was this the new canon now? Anything's possible till we get those. Yeah, things. and is, is that Sarlacc still there? I know. Well, I think so. Mm. It's kind of hard to kill a Sarlacc. Yeah. But now the question is, when does Boba Fett actually come out of it? Oh, yeah, you're right. And what happened to Jabba's palace after all that went down? We never see it again. I know. I mean, did somebody else take over? or because We we haven't gotten much information on that in the little bit of books and comics we've got set after Return of the Jedi. Yeah, because, I mean, there's more than one person in the Hutt family. I mean, it's not only Java, right? Yeah, just even other crime lords on Tatooine, you would think, would want to <laughs> take that palace over. Right, right. Anyway. Um, <laughs> we'll get those stories yeah. eventually. <laughs> um, now we can move on to our conversation with Alex slash listener feedback, because I think Jordan sent an email. Yeah, oh, he did. Okay. Um, Alex says, Hi, bad buddies. Awesome episode and awesome topic as always. I've never, 
I've never had cable, so I didn't see Justice League when it came out, but my cousin did, and she was a big fan of the series, and she'd tell me all about it. I actually hated the idea of the Justice League because I thought it made Batman lame. So I was shocked by how much she loved it. I saw some of the show through DVDs from the library, but I got te- I got teased for it. My sister and my brother liked Batman the Animated Series and X-Men the Animated Series. And even though he hates them now, my brother bought uh, Batman, X-Men, and Spider-Man comics and video games. So I was in the clear with those characters. Anyways... Well, that's that's disappointing to hear. You got teased for watching one of the greatest animated series ever, and now that your brother doesn't like that stuff anymore. I'm sorry to hear that, Alex. Uh, anyways, I finally watched the rest of the show when I had my Netflix trial this year. My favorite characters are Batman, Wally West, Ace, Captain Marvel, Lex Luthor, Mercy, Darkseid, Orion, Mr. Miracle, Big Barda, Lobo, and Etrigan. I totally forgot about Etrigan. Et- Et- Etrigan was in that show. Yeah, he was in the first nope, season, uh, an episode called... Oh, what's that episode called? It's called A Night Something. Okay. Give me the email. <laughs> I gotta look that up. Bugging me. <laughs> but I will say, too, Lobo had some great appearances, especially in the one where they think Superman's dead and he tries to join the Justice League. That one is also... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Alex goes on and he says, My sons, you have my blessing to do the Titanic commentary, but my heart will certainly go on if you choose not to do it. So that's <laughs> so that's one person, Tim. Yeah, there's one. <laughs> um, but as always, Alex has questions. His first question is, "What are your topic? What are your top comic book runs?" For me, one Stanley's Steve Ditko's and John Romita's Spider-Man. Batman does become a compelling character for me until oh, it doesn't become a compelling character for me until Frank Miller. But with Spider-Man. I love I loved him from the start, and it's all thanks to Stanley and his artists making the first three three dimensional superhero, or at least the first I'm I'm aware of. I don't have any interest in the current incarnation of the character, but from 1962 to 1998, uh, I love Spider-Man. Although there's still the Sunday paper. Anyways, Stanley is a legend. Enough said. <laughs> I will say, Alex, current Spider-Man comics have been pretty good lately. And it's not for everyone, but there's some pretty cool stories in there and what Spider-Man's life now is like. And even the Superior Spider-Man series where Doc Ock was Spider-Man, that turned out to be surprisingly really, really good. So it's not all bad now for Spidey in the current comics. What about Spider-Gwen? <laughs> I haven't read Spider-Gwen. Unfortunately, I can only get the main Spider-Man title. <laughs> if you're looking for a really cool Spider-Man story, that's it. Like in an Elseworld, is called Spider-Man Renew Your Vows, where he's still married to Mary Jane and they have a daughter together. That was a good story, him juggling that with still being Spider-Man, so that's another good one. Don't they have a, a Gwenpool? Yeah. <laughs> or Deadpool kind of gets overexposed sometimes. He's like, yeah. oh, we gotta throw a Deadpool on this to make it more popular <laughs> and whatnot. It's, it kind of gets annoying. Um, Alex's second is Chris Claremont's John Burns, Terry Austin's yes. Uncanny X-Men. Wolverine, Nightcrawler, and Storm are a few other characters that didn't need to be revamped by various writers, but there was an interpretation uh, that I liked. But the story didn't interest me until John Byrne came, became the artist. This run is so iconic thanks to stuff like the Dark Phoenix Saga and Days of Future Past. Also, Wolverine was the coolest superhero at the, at, at the time thanks to John Byrne. 
Uh, Alex's third is Frank Miller's Daredevil. Okay, with respect to Stanley, I needed Frank Miller to be to be interested in Daredevil. This is Miller's journey to writing The Dark Knight Returns, and it's a very influential run. So, Tim, what are your top comic book runs? Well, my first one shouldn't come as a surprise. Nightfall. I mean, come on. <laughs> Got me into comics. Sentimental favorite. This is epic storytelling at the time for me as a kid, and I still enjoy reading it to this day. So that one's probably going to be my number one. But then I'm probably going to have to go with Jeff Johns' Green Lantern run. That was just fantastic, pretty much from start to finish. In the early going after uh, a Rebirth, there was a few issues uh, like after that were, you know, not super, you know, substantial as far as like epic stories that uh, lasted throughout the Green Lantern mythos, but once it got going with uh, Secret Origin and Sinestro Core War, Blackest Night, and then continuing on into the New 52 up into Jeff John's last issue, it just, it, which wrapped it up beautifully and kind of, pretty much if there was ever going to be a last Green Lantern story ever told, it would be that issue that of Jeff John's last one. He wrapped up everything so nicely and he brought in the awesome concept of the emotional spectrum with the different colored lanterns, the red lanterns, the blue lanterns, which are my favorite, the indigo tribe, black lanterns, the orange lantern with uh, Larfleys. <laughs> just so many great concepts up there. So that's definitely going to be up there. And then I got to agree with Alex about Chris Claremont's X-Men run. I mean, he's brought some of the most classic X-Men stories ever with, you know, Phoenix Saga, Dark Phoenix, just to name the, like the one that's most popular, but so much stuff and into the 90s when they relaunched the X-Men number one which is like the best selling comic ever <laughs> and that was another thing with Nightfall at that time for me as a kid getting into comics that story helped a lot too so I'd probably go with those three but then you got of course Scott Snyder's run and Detective early on and his New 52 run with Batman I think it's going to be iconic then you got I love Grant Morrison's Batman and Robin run with Dick Grayson and, as Batman and Damien so those are probably some of my favorites um, for me, uh, you just mentioned it, uh, Scott Snyder and Jock's uh, Detective Comics uh, is probably my number one. And the last two are in no particular order. Uh, I guess the second one would be um, Jeff Lemire's Sweet Tooth. It's a great series. I think it ran about 40, I think right on 40 issues. It's a really, really great post-apocalyptic story. Um, if you... If you, if you like that kind of story. Um, and third, I'm going to stick with the post-apocalyptic thing. Uh, that's Garth Ennis' Cross. Um, not a lot of people talk about it because it was released around the same time that The Walking Dead was you know, hitting its stride and getting really becoming one of the biggest comics uh-huh. in all of comics. Um, yeah, that, that's one of my favorite comic book runs ever. Um, I don't think it's still going on. Um, there was a bunch of spinoffs that I didn't read, but that initial run of um, of books was really, really good. So, yeah, if you're into post-apocalyptic things, uh, media, I'd say Crossed and Sweet Tooth are some of the best. Oh, yeah. Another one I forgot to mention, I should have put in there. I don't know if, my top three are pretty solid, but i got to throw in the IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles run by Tom Waltz. That has been phenomenal, as you guys probably aren't too surprised to hear me say. But I remember reading those back 2012 for the first time. It was, 
it was about a year out with because it came out in 2011. But when I read it, I was like, oh man, this is one of the best <laughs> turtle incarnations ever, and it's still going strong to this day. But I will say, the last issue that came out was the first time in its what is it, they're on issue 64, I believe 64, 65. And so the first time out of the five-year run where there's a story element that I did not like. I was like, I don't know about that. That was the right way to go. But oh. they had a good run as far as almost being <laughs> flawless <laughs> over the course of their history. So I got to give that a right. Um Alex, the second question is, the age-old this or that? Dogs or cats, Tim? Well, you see, as a kid, and this as much as five years ago, I'd say dogs, but I've come into cats recently, so... Now I'm kind of a cat person. I like I love cat, both cats and dogs, but right now I got to give the edge to cats because I got a few cats right now. Yeah, I'm gonna say both. Uh, deep sea or deep space? Deep space. I love me some sci-fi and just space in general. Yes. Can't get enough. Me too. Of it. Deep space. Uh, guns or swords? Can I pick lights? <laughs> Technically, yes, I guess. Well, I'll go with swords. That's that's kind of like a lightsaber. Yeah, lightsabers for me. Uh, burning hot or freezing cold? Uh, freezing cold. Yeah, me too. Uh, day or night? Night. Me too. <laughs> so I love daylight saving times. It gets darker at 5 o'clock, and I yeah. love it. Uh, strength or speed? I'm going to go with speed. Yeah, me too. Because if, especially if it's talking like martial arts fighting terms, if you could have good speed and be someone that has like brute strength, you can pinpoint like some pressure points on their body and just hit those, and you could take them out if you have good speed and dodge their attacks. So definitely speed. Uh, sci-fi or fantasy, Tim? Ah, now that's a tough one. <laughs> I love both. I like I like the term sci-fi or sci-fantasy. Like Star Wars gets uh, yeah. thrown into because it's not typically sci-fi. There's fantasy elements in there, so that's another one I want to combine both of them into so uh for me sci-fi definitely because it's so much more convenient in the sense where like if you take a fantasy world right a- any fantasy world it seems like they stop technology at a certain point you know it's like yeah oh we have horses so we don't need to create any other moving things right uh mm-hmm. We've we have a pen and a, a piece of paper, so we don't have to create anything else, you know. But in sci-fi, they keep on creating new and new and new and new and newer technologies to make life better. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. You know, it's yeah. like it's like oh, you know, we have these things called horses, so we don't need to create automobiles, you know. I see, that's why Star Wars is the best of both. You're in space, you get sci-fi elements, but it has that fantasy quality right. to it also. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> that's why Star Wars is just <laughs> the best. And finally, the toughest question of them all, Tim. <laughs> Nightwing's ponytail or Superman's mullet? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> see, I uh, had to think about this one in a long time. It was hard to come to a decision, but <laughs> I think I'm going to go with Superman's mullet. And as... Yeah. You know, probably outdated as it looks now. I think it still looks better than Nightwing's ponytail. Yeah. That was never a good look. And maybe it was part of his gold costume, too, that he had, <laughs> which didn't help. So I'll go with Superman's ponytail. I mean, you have to go with Nightwing's ponytail. How can you not? That thing. Well, I just gave you my reason. I, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. They should bring that ponytail back in the current Nightwing run. Whoever's doing that. 
Well, it matched the quality of the Nightwing <laughs> book if they look like that. So, <laughs> it, it, I mean, j- just to improve that book by ten thousand percent, bring back that ponytail. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll start picking it up. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, thank you, Alex, for your email. We always enjoy reading them, right, Tim? Yes, we do. And uh, so keep sending them in, and keep on sending in those questions because they're always awesome. Those like that lightning round of just simple choice of questions were pretty fun. Yeah. So if you got more of those, bring them on. Uh, did you want to read Jordan's email, Tim? Yep, got it up right here. He goes, "Hey Tim and Dane, hope you guys both had batastic Thanksgivings. There's not nearly as much Batman or DC Thanksgiving content as there is Halloween or especially Christmas content, but I did celebrate by watching the Young Justice episode Agendas, which does take place on Thanksgiving and features a scene." where Miss Martian and Zatanna are cooking Thanksgiving and dinner at Mount Justice. Really? Like the thing I remember about Batman Thanksgiving <laughs> is just a memory where on there's the Friday after Thanksgiving, they were having, like, Fox Kids was having a marathon of their shows, and Batman was one of them. And I remember them showing the second Scarecrow episode, which was Fear of Victory, where he gives the fear toxins to those pro athletes and bets against them. And when that episode was supposed to air originally as a kid they didn't show it because they showed a Dodger game and I was so disappointed because that was supposed to be the first time I was going to see Robin on Batman the Animated Series because they aired different episodes out of order as far as production goes so that was going to be my first experience of seeing Robin and when I, I woke up late that next morning and like only caught half of Fear of Victory <laughs> I was like oh, again I'm not I'm missing Robin but it was so I just remember that moment being so excited to finally see that episode because it sent like forever is one I really wanted to see but then missing half of it so I didn't see that full episode till a while after <laughs> speaking of the Dodgers how, how did they get such a, a, a large payroll Magic Johnson oh. <laughs> right, right. and uh, his other owner partners so oh yeah I, I totally forgot Magic Johnson owns that team yeah <laughs> is he the majority owner I believe so. Him and another, I, I want to say it's Stan Kasten. Is the oh, so guy. it's like a business group then. Oh, yeah. oh I see. Yeah. But yeah, that's why they got... I'm, I'm glad they have the highest payroll now instead of the Yankees. It's nice not to have that label on them. <laughs> why don't you try being an A's fan? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you're in the big market. Oh, no, I guess so, because, you know... It's funny when you sent me that... Sorry, Jordan, for going off topic yeah. on your email, but <laughs> uh, when they, you sent me that text as far as Oakland being a larger market now, I go... Like uh, that's weird. I never knew they were, but I didn't get all the new CBA yeah. details yet. The collective bargaining agreement, which baseball and the players union have to agree on every five years. That one of those things was that, like in twenty twenty, they're going to be a big market team now. Yeah, right? in twenty twenty. So, 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 what's pretty much going to happen is they're going to get weaned off of um, the the um, stuff, like uh, revenue sharing. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's the right word. Uh, so. So they're not going to see anything of that. In yeah, so it's going from the full 100% revenue sharing to um, 50 uh, to 25 to zero in 2020, I think. Now, Sam. with that being said, <laughs> it, it's about 34, 35 million a year. And that's on a team that only has about 80 million in uh, payroll. <laughs> Compared to the Dodgers and the Yankees, which have over two hundred million, 
Oh, man. So, that must have been a great day for Billy Bean when he found that out. Maybe he's going to step down in 2020. <laughs> well, it's, it's not really Billy Bean anymore. It's 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 more of the, the owners of the team. You know, so, like, apparently they're big market now. They're a large market team because, of course, man. you know, they're in, the, they're in the Bay Area. And they're they're near uh, the Giants, right? They're near San Francisco. They're right across the bay from San Francisco, and of course, Giants fans are also Oakland A fans, right? That makes sense, right, Tim? Well, I'm sure they have a rivalry where they root against each other. I'm sure maybe there's some fans of both. I mean, come on. So, so, so you're telling me <laughs> that Yankees fans are also Met fans? Yeah, no, but see, I'm one of those persons like who would like to see the Mets do good in the season. If they play the Yankees, and I'm not going to exactly. for them, but I'm not one of those automatic Met haters just because I'm. A yeah, but if you live in New York and you you love the the Yankees, you're not going to go to a Mets game, right? Yeah, for the majority. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing in California with 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 the A's and the Giants and let's say the the, the Padres and the Dodgers. So, so of course, of course, they're uh, you know a large market team, right? I mean, I mean, come well, on, they, they had the fourth lowest payroll of uh, of all major league teams <laughs> last year. Yeah, that's pretty. They sad. They had the second lowest attendance last year. <laughs> they just got to get out of that stadium. That's got to be priority number one. Hey, if they're a big market team, they should have a big market stadium. Yeah, I mean. I, <laughs> I, that the Coliseum is. I mean, I mean, he, he, even the Raiders are looking to move out of. That, out that'd of the be Coliseum. sad if they get something in the Oakland Desert. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I think I, I think they're going to move the whole team to another place. <laughs> Which I don't know. It looks like that's where the A's are going to have to end up doing. Um, they're definitely going to have to move out of Oakland. Yeah, well, it's good. definitely going to be an interesting five years to <laughs> see what they do before they get to that point in 2020. But. So, yeah, um, uh, second lowest attendance, uh, fourth lowest payroll. Um, the the Yankees and Dodgers had almost three times their payroll. <laughs> <laughs> and that's including the revenue sharing. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I feel for you, Dana, as an Oakland Yeah, fan. so uh, it's, it's going to be a few lean years. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, with more uh, minor leaguers that you've never heard of, and hopefully some will surprise you and they'll have a good season. Like sometimes they know to do. Yeah, so I mean, you never know. What can they really do with? I mean, can, can they realistically get a triple A guy? Well. A triple A <laughs> minor leaguer, let's say. They like. Some crazier stuff has happened before. Someone can burst on the scene that didn't have high expectations and ends up being a good player. You never yeah, know. but in 2020, with like a five or like a $50 million payroll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, dude. I'm just trying to look I for guess, the positive. I guess, but I mean, I mean, it's, not it's not, it's not, Tim. <laughs> just, glad. <laughs> just be glad you're not a, you're not an A's fan. That's your. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm happy rooting for the Yankees and the Cubs in the National League. Yeah, so. true big market teams. Yeah, it doesn't get much bigger than those two. <laughs> you want to know something funny? 
You, you know who had the third lowest attendance? No, Cleveland. No. Well, that doesn't surprise me. I know there was low. Yeah. I don't know how low they were, which stinks. A <laughs> World Series team. <laughs> they had the third lowest but, attendance. By like 70,000 uh, people total. Man, like, yeah, what's it going to take for people to get to that stadium? <laughs> They're winners, obviously. Yeah, they have a brand new, nice stadium, right? Yeah. Se- Semi-new, I guess. Yeah, it still looks yeah. nice. But anyway, yeah. back to Jordan's yeah. email. <laughs> Sorry, Jordan. Sorry about that, Jordan. <laughs> I just had to get... I, but Dane had to let yeah. his frustration out of I just of had to get that out there because I just yeah. needed to vent about... Yeah, it's always good. But he continues. Sorry that I sent you guys a book for the last episode. Guess that's what happens when we're lucky enough to have two DC trailers dropped in the same week. Thanks for reading it anyway, as always. I'd say this email is going to be shorter, but I can't make any promises. And scrolling down the email, yeah, Jordan, it's probably just as long as the previous one, which is fine. It's all good. But he goes on to say, we just got another trailer, this one for Justice League Dark. Mark mentioned in his email last episode, but I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. I think this movie looks awesome. It seems like it's basically going to be a horror film set in the DC Universe. I hope there's several scenes like the opening one of the trailer where the guy is drinking coffee and all of a sudden has a shadow come up behind him and possesses him. One interesting thing to me is that when the Justice League is sitting around their table, there are a bunch of new members there that had yet to be established in this universe. I know the focus will be on Justice League Dark mostly, but I wonder if the addition of those new Justice League members will be touched on in the film. In terms of the voice cast, as I've said before, I love Jason O'Mara's Batman. His I have a butler line at the end of the trailer was pretty funny. It's also good to hear that Matt Ryan's getting to repraise his role as Constantine in animation. My only real complaint is that I'm not a fan of Zatanna's costume. I'm used to her being in her magician outfit. Yeah, Justice League Dark is, I gotta say, it's not one I'm really too excited for. The mystical, magical stuff's not one of the things, it's not my favorite in the DC universe, so... Like I said, there are some good moments with Batman. Like that, I have a butler line. <laughs> it was great in the course of that trailer. So, yeah. and you're right, there are different Justice League members. Like John Stewart is there, and it would be kind of get a good, nice to get an introduction to them in some way. Because how about a Green Lantern movie? <laughs> we haven't had that in a while. We had Jordan and Green and John Stewart teaming up or something. That would be nice. You, but yeah, we'll see if they ever touch on that. In the future. Do you want to know what I'm not a fan of, Tim and so, Jordan? I, I should say uh, the the. The A's being considered a large market team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really, Dan? I didn't get that impression from you. Huh. <laughs> uh, much like Tim regretted not mentioning Gordon's speech at the end of The Dark Knight on his list of most memorable movie quotes, I can't believe I neglected to mention Batman's reveal of who he is to Gordon at the end of The Dark Knight Rises on my list. A hero can be anyone, even a man doing something as simple and reassuring as putting a coat around a young boy's shoulders to let him know that the world hasn't ended. That actually jumps to number two on my list, and it's only inches behind the Bruce and Andrea conversation from my number one spot. Such an inspirational line of dialogue. I 100% agree. That was one of the chill, most chill-inducing moments, I'd say, for The Dark Knight Rises when I first saw it, just getting that callback and just great dialogue from Batman in there. It was really cool. I wanted to pitch in on Alex's question about the happiest Batman moment, the angriest Batman moment, and the craziest Batman moment. For happiest, I've got to go with the scene where Bruce and Andrea went to the World's Fair together in Mask of the Phantasm. He was so happy that he was willing to break his promise to his parents to become Batman. The scene where Bruce and Selina are at the cafe at the end of The Dark Knight Rises is a close second, though. Batman's angriest moment was an easy one for me. 
the Joker interrogation scene in The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. I mean, Batman tells Joker how close he is to breaking his one rule in that scene. The Joker has put two people he really cares about in danger, and Batman is just out of patience. Even Gordon thinks he's about to lose control. For craziest Batman moment, I really dug Tim's choice of Zero and R. Man, Batman R.E.P. is bonkers. <laughs> but I'm thinking something really recent, actually. When Batman decided to replace everyone in Gotham with himself in Return of the Cape Crusaders. Maybe it should count as Batman was under the influence of Catwoman's drug when he did that. But I'm using it anyway. LOL. And yeah, I can't blame you for using that one, Jordan. That was pretty crazy. It fit perfectly with that movie. I mean, how great was it to see a Batman chef, a Batman mother with a Batman kid? <laughs> All this crazy <laughs> stuff. <laughs> with regards to Tom King's Batman, I'm sorry Dane's been disappointed enough with it that he decided to drop yeah. it. Even though I am loving it oh, so sir. much, it sucks to hear many other fans really aren't enjoying it. I'm sorry, Dane, you were going to chime in there? Yeah, I, I, I've been... Uh... Not disappointed. It's, it's more like it's it's like it's not for me, and you know I'm not I'm just not gonna pick it up. So uh, I'm not really disappointed, uh, Jordan. It's it's more just it's not my thing. So so maybe when he moves on to something new, something that sounds more interesting, uh, maybe Tim get, gives it a positive review. Uh, maybe I'll jump back on Batman, uh, Tom King's Batman. But for right now. I'm just gonna let the, this this story uh, play out, um, but but I'm definitely not disappointed. Uh, what I am disappointed in is the the Oakland A's not receiving the revenue sharing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm loving that now. <laughs> oh, you just <laughs> just so so disappointed with it. Now. Welcome to the big market. <laughs> so I mean, I can understand. Let's say. The Chicago Cubs being considered a large market team because you know you had the North Side, you had the South Side, the the the, the Chicago White Sox. Um, I can see Cleveland being a large market team because they're the only team in the state. Uh, but Oakland, I mean, come on, <laughs> come on, eighty million in um, in payroll? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> uh. Well, Jordan continues on to say, with regards to Tim's complaint about the Catwoman letter feeling out of place in issue 10, while it didn't bother me, I can see where you're coming from. Perhaps there just wasn't room for it anywhere else. Spoilers, I'm glad to hear Tim enjoyed issue 11 better, though. I thought it was another fantastic one. As you might have been able to guess, the opening flashback scene was my favorite part. I really felt for Batman as he struggled with upholding the law and bringing Catwoman in knowing she'd have a death sentence awaiting her, versus letting her go even though she killed 237 people. It reminded me a lot of the graveyard scene in Mask of the Phantasm. Wow, how many times have I mentioned that movie in this email? The answer to that question, Jordan, is not enough. You can never mention too much in Mask of the Phantasm. <laughs> in both scenes, Bruce is struggling with whether to prioritize his comment or his commitment to justice or the woman he loves. Another part of issue 11 that I dug was Catwoman and the ventriloquist's conversation. I thought it was actually kind of funny how fascinated she was by him, and the art was really cool there as they were climbing around the pipes in the prison. The end of the issue was insane with Catwoman be- with Catwoman's betrayal. It looks like uh, Punch and Julie were the slipknots of Batman's Suicide Squad, if you know what I mean. Yes, I definitely do. It left us with a very exciting cliffhanger, because I have no idea how Batman is going to get out of this one. In regards to your responses to my question about favorite animated Robin and Batgirl costumes, you guys had some pretty awesome picks. 
I'm happy to hear we're all on the same page about Batgirl's costume from the new Batman Adventures and the Killing Joke. They are very similar costumes, but the Killing Joke one takes the cake for me because it's all black instead of having a little bit of blue on the cape and cowl. As for the Robin costumes, I know Tim's especially going to have a fit over me saying this, but I'm not a huge fan of the Dick Grayson costume from Batman the Animated Series. Ah, Jordan, this... This is worse than, I guess, that's not agreeing on the Tom King's Batman. <laughs> How can you not like that animated series costume? It's just so good. <laughs> well, he goes on to say that I don't dislike it. It's just not one of my favorites. For starters, I just prefer Robin's costumes that uses red, black, and yellow instead of red, green, and yellow. But the reason the Teen Titans costume in my list, even though it's red, green, and yellow, is largely because the green pants go all the way up to the utility belt on that one, which looks much better to me. Well, at least you got one of those in there with the green, <laughs> green, yellow, and red. To me, those are the perfect combination colors for uh, Robin. The red one, like I said, that was on, I think that was number three in my list from his last email. It looks cool, but just can't compete with the green. Uh, I vote yes on the Titanic commentary, so you're at least assured one down. <laughs> that could be pretty fun. Watching it can be more difficult, or it can't be any more difficult than watching Jaws the Revenge, well, right? Let me just say something. It is three hours. <laughs> yes, that's the <laughs> big thing. <laughs> you can, also, you can uh, genuinely relate to it uh, to DC since Victor Garber, Professor Stein in the Arrow universe, is it? He is. <laughs> yep, I guess oh. so. I don't remember. Him, but <laughs> I'll all say about the Titanic. Maybe we'll eventually do it, but no promises on when yeah. because I really got to psych myself up for that one. Maybe, <laughs> I got to be honest with you guys. Maybe we'll do half and half. Like we'll do an hour and 30 minutes and an hour and 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah, we'll see. Or maybe imagine if we did a minute by minute commentary. No. On that, so. <laughs> I don't think we would. No, no, we, we wouldn't. Did <laughs> Here's a couple of questions to wrap this email up. His first one is, speaking of the shared universe in the DCU AOM line, it's recently occurred to me that the Joker has yet to make an appearance in it. What do you think he will? Or when do you think he will? How do you think he will? And how would you like to see him done in it? Since the universe is largely based off the New 52, I could totally see them adapting Death of the Family. I thought the beginning of that arc was fantastic, and the GCPD massacre is one of my favorite Joker scenes of all time. It was absolutely terrifying. I was a bit underwhelmed by the end of the arc, but maybe they changed it up for the movie like they have some with, for other stories they've adapted. I don't think we'll see him in one of the shared universe films next year, since I think we're getting Justice League Dark and The Judas Contract. But perhaps in 2018. As for a voice actor, obviously Mark Hamill would be my first choice, but since Kevin Conroy doesn't voice Batman in these movies, I think it's unlikely he'd do it. So in that case, I'd love to hear Jean DiMaggio get another shot at it, since he was so good in Under the Red Hood but hasn't gotten to do it again since. Yeah, you pretty much answered my choice right there, Jordan. Since they're doing the New 52, mainly adapting that, why not start with Death of the Family? Because I just love to see that style of Joker brought into the animated universe with the torn-up face this taped to his or taped to his face and head. I just love that look that made the Joker just that much more <laughs> evil and sinister with that creepy look of that mask on him, or his face as a mask. It's just so creepy to see that in animation would be really cool, I think. So start off with that, and then you got to do Endgame. <laughs> if you're going to bring Joker into this shared universe for the animated movies, Endgame is a must. I would love to see that. So definitely on the same page there. What do you think, Dane? Uh, for me, 
It's not really New 52. I mean, I, I agree with you when you say uh, Endgame and uh, Death of the Family, but um, for me, um, it, it, it would only be like a little appearance uh, because it was just like one issue. But uh, Scott Snyder's Black Mirror, I would mm-hmm. love to see that. Because that was a good appearance, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's only in it for like one issue, one maybe the beginning of this, uh, a second issue. Um, but uh, I just really like to see that. I had a great cover, too. I oh, it yeah. was like a bunch of bats just like making, making the shape of the Joker's face. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah great cover. Uh, that run was so good. Yeah, it was. And. His second question is, the latest episode of Supergirl had a pretty great reference to Batman in it, and it got me thinking about what is my favorite Batman reference in a DC show in which she hasn't appeared. So, what are your guys' favorites? A couple have come to mind for me in both the Arrowverse shows and in the animated series, but there's one that stands out above the rest. It's from the Teen Titans episode, Apprentice, Part 2. Slade says to Robin, who knows, I might even become like a father to you. Then Robin responds with, I already have a father. Bats fly across the screen, and the Batman the Animated Series music plays. It gives me chills every time I watch it. That's one scene in Teen Titans I have to see, because uh, I know uh, Robin and Deathstroke, or Slade as he's called, <laughs> they're only able to call him on that show. They had a pretty cool, like, uh, I guess, rivalry or whatever, as him being the main villain for the Teen Titans and Robin. So, But I never heard that moment that you're talking about here, Jordan, but it does sound really cool and I should probably look that up because it does sound like if they played the animated series music, it does sound like something could be pretty epic to see. But as far as one of the Batman references I like, it's one where we didn't know it at the time that it was a shared universe. But in the very first episode of Superman, the animated series, it was a three part movie where uh, Clark Kent is just at home with his mother and father. And they're kind of talking about him appearing as Superman for the first time. And Martha Kent just says the line where I don't want people thinking you're that you're like that nut from Gotham City, <laughs> and I liked how it established that you know Batman does exist in this universe, but is it still the same one from the animated series? At that time, we didn't know, but of course now we know they're all connected and part of the same universe. But I always got a kick out of that line that right away they established that Batman is there and actually before Superman, which is kind of different. So that one has been one of my favorite Batman references. How about you, Dane? Um, hmm. I don't really have one. Um, I guess I'd say Arrow because I mean Oliver is pretty much Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really true, especially in season three when he goes up with Rachel Ghoul. Yeah, I mean, and pretty much everything that happens to Bruce almost happens to him. I mean, Claude, he's Playboy like millionaire. They had the sword fight for crying out loud. <laughs> he's a Playboy million or mil- millionaire Playboy. Um. He's had the training from uh, Raish. Um, what else? Tim? He he has a darker costume. Operates at night. Uh, you know, I mean, he's pretty much Batman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they haven't actually, like you said, Supergirl's made some actual references to Batman twice now, but Arrow, they haven't said done anything. Well, actually, in Flash, there is that page on that newspaper from the future that says. Uh, Wayne Industries and Queen Consolidated merge, or Bruce Wayne buys out Queen Consolidated, something to that effect. So he's there somewhere in that Arrow universe. Yeah, yeah, I guess. So. But will he be Batman? I mean, he, he, even I mean, from what I've seen, the the fight sequences, like it's it's always nighttime. Um, it's always in a 
in a like a warehouse situation mm-hmm. sort of thing and an alley or something it it, it just looks like Gotham <laughs> yeah <laughs> especially in the early season it definitely <laughs> well uh, thanks Jordan for your email as always and your questions and uh, your thoughts on all the Batman topics from the last few weeks so look forward to your next one too yeah definitely um, oh and if you want to email the show if you're looking to this and you want to email the show um, you can email the show at batfanswithoutpants at gmail.com. So with that being said, we can finally get into our comic book reviews, Tim. Yes, we can. And I should say off the bat, unfortunately, I'm going to get my comics this week. Yeah. So no Batman annual, what is it, number two? Three, three I think. Four. Yeah. Okay. Well, or is it number one since Rebirth? Oh, yeah, it might be number one. I, I, I totally okay. forgot about the Rebirth. Um so yeah, for this episode, we're, we're going to review uh, Detective Comics number 945, Batman Beyond number 2, and Wonder Woman number 11. But like we say at the beginning of every comic book review section, uh, there's going to be a lot of spoilers for, uh, in this part of the episode. So if you haven't read your books, pause this right now. And after you read your books, come back and listen to this part later. So our rating scale for this episode is going to be, Tim... I think it's got to be something as far as levels of that. You're upset of Oakland being a large part of the team. <laughs> How about uh, I don't know what exact wording, but some type of <laughs> count to register your frustration of that. Okay, so uh, levels of how disappointed I am that the A's are considered uh, a large market team. There. there you go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's going to be our rating seal, everybody. So, uh, Detective Comics number 945, Tim. Oh, yep, you so know what? Let, let's good. start it off with uh, Batman Beyond number two. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. So, Batman Beyond number t- two. This one, a uh, little disappointed with this one. And the big reason why is, as we know, this isn't set in the main animated series continuity, which I've accepted. But the story they told here just wasn't that good great in a flashback sequence because you got you know the Joker they're trying to be brought back to life and uh, Carter the, you know, the Joker leader right now is trying to bring him back as Dana captured and he begins to tell her the story of the Joker's last battle with Batman and it happened not too long ago it seemed like because uh, Dana's telling that she was just a, a kid when it happened and you know she remembers the story and so the my biggest disappointment with this issue is you know this being Batman, Bruce, and Joker's final battle was just not, you know, nearly as epic and emotional as it was in the animated series universe with Return of the Joker. Because it starts off with Joker having Batman tied to this bulldozer, steamrolling through the snow, snow in Gotham. And, you know, Batman's able to make his way out of there like he always does. But there was just sense, no sense of dread or drama or, you know, you wouldn't think this is the way Batman and Joker's fight would end. So, you see Batman escape being captured from the Joker's bulldozer. Joker's still going after him. Uh, Batman gets into the bulldozer where Joker was driving, pushes him out of it, and the just the way Joker died <laughs> seemingly here is just so anticlimactic. Even the edited version of how Return of the Joker was where he almost electrocuted himself. This one, he pretty much, you know, 
he stays in that bulldozer and then like this snowblower train or this train with you know snowblower is coming right towards the bulldozer that joker's in and it just crashes so basically joker died in a car accident type scenario <laughs> which you know they're kind of saying dana doesn't believe this is the body that carter has but you know he says you know there was different stories as far as how maybe the joker got away like maybe joker batman didn't know the joker had a crew following that truck they got his the body or they're keeping him and you know cryogenic they just we just never know but i found him and that type of thing so i just felt that story of batman and joker's last battle being coming down to like a car train car slash train accident was pretty anticlimactic as for their final battle so that was disappointing but then the other issue part of the issue continues with uh, you got uh, Matt and Max in the Batmobile causing a distraction uh, for the Joker gang as Terry infiltrates his way as a member of the Jokers as we found out in the last issue and he tries to make his way up to the Joker leader by being the one to take down the Batmobile that's flying out over their headquarters so he has this bazooka and he shoots it at the Batmobile or Matt and Max are in but they were able to you know fake it to make it look like the Batmobile blew up but instead they threw out this like little uh, package might have been with explosives that looks like they exploded but they ended up getting away getting away and it makes terry's joker disguise look like you know he succeeded in what others could not to make his way up to the joker leader and he suspects something because he doesn't never seen him this joker gang member before and there's a pretty cool nod here where uh he reveals his name where uh trying to think the exact wording of it was because it's a tie into matches malone yeah he just goes trey malone that's my name he's like you must have heard of my old man most people call the matches and so he gets accepted into their the joker gang and dana's right there and she kind of recognizing hey this could be T- terry and again she doesn't know he's alive yet so she's suspecting that this could be him so uh like i said disappointing that that flashback sequence was just so anticlimactic but still kind of I'm curious to see where the story is going to go with Terry and trying to get Dana out and if they actually are going to resurrect the Joker. So that was my only disappointment. It's probably the weakest issue of Batman Beyond so far. So uh, two and a half sounds a little hard on it. I'm just going to, I'll go ahead and give it a three because the current stuff with Terry and uh, Max and Matt trying to cut the distraction was pretty fun to read. So I would give it three out of five levels of frustration that Dane has of Oakland becoming a big market base. <laughs> That's a great rating skill. all right uh detective comics number 945 tim yeah so this one continuing on the victim syndicate story and still (laughs) james tinian is doing a great job on detective i another great issue i just love the character moments and dynamics that we're getting here and maybe the story isn't as good as the previous arc but there's still just great character moments here, and I just love it. Uh, Stephanie Brown, we know we got a visit from the crime syndicate, or the I keep calling the crime syndicate, but the victim syndicate's leader. She's kind of planted some seeds in her of like doubting Batman herself, as far as they might have a point in what they're saying, where Batman's causing more harm than good. And my favorite moment of the issue came at the beginning, where Batman is talking to Alfred, and he's trying to remember or trying to figure out who the leader was, and he's calling back to his first night out as Batman, which we saw in Zero Year, and we get some cool art panels of that classic image of Detective Comics 27, the cover of Batman on his grappling hook, having a criminal, but in this case it's a Red Hood gang member in in his grasp. And I just like, we got a little insight to how Batman was treating some of the victims that, you know, got caught in the crossfire of some of his battles. Um, They talked about um, 
a couple where uh, her husband died, but Batman covered all the medical bills for a year for that victim's wife, and then there was some how Batman said he tried to remember and know all the names of the victims that you know got hurt and affected by his crusade as Batman. He says, I always thought I remember the innocent people who got hurt in this war, but there are some names I don't remember. And Alfred, same thing. I mean, it's kind of impossible to remember everyone that's been affected somehow, some way by what Batman's doing. And then Alfred just has, you know, a good line to Batman that, you know, are you actually worried that there's like a little bit of part of you that believes that what the victim syndicate is saying, where the city would be safer without Batman, but then Alfred questions it, or is it really all this about Tim being dead? And Bruce himself doesn't even know. He just goes, I don't know. So great character dynamic between Alfred and Batman here, which again, not to harp on my disappointment with Batman, I'm sorry, but that Alfred-Batman dynamic in that series is (laughs) nothing compared to what they're doing in Detective here, so I just like that moment. And then Batman decides to have Leslie Tompkins kind of do some evaluation with the members of his team to make sure their head's in the right place. We get a good moment between Leslie and Clayface as far as him expressing himself, as far as he doesn't know why Batman even has him on here because he's so unstable. We kind of get some insight as to, you know, how his body and mind actually works as being affected by, you know, the Clayface talks and that gives him his powers. And the Batman or Batwoman and Batwing have a moment together where she calls him out on why she doesn't trust him, which she makes some good points as far as saying Luke's never lost anybody. You just treat this like a hobby and, you know, you're not taking it as seriously as probably the rest of us who has faced tragedy. Then we get an even a nice moment with Harper Rowe and uh, Jean-Paul Valley, who I believe James Tinian has said recently that he's going to join this team as Azrael, which should be interesting. So, But during the midst of their conversation, the victim syndicate attacks and during that, Leslie's having her conversation with Stephanie Brown, and she just goes off on Batman here, kind of saying, you know, that he, he keeps pretending to care about them when he's just really trying to cover up his mistakes type of thing, which, you know, I thought, eh, Stephanie's going a little overboard here, especially after the great moment they had when uh, Tim died, and they just had that embrace and showed how much, you know, they cared about this and how much those losses suffering, or they're suffering from this loss, the both of them are, how probably the two people closest to Tim, and then to see her go off on Batman like this was kind of a little disappointing. You think she'd know better than that or understand, but part of me thinks maybe the syndicate's leader did something to her mentally where she, I don't know if it's like mind control or something to that effect that worked, that put her in this emotional state. So the issue ends with a cliffhanger where everybody leaves the belfry and just her in the main control room, and she just says, okay, they're gone. I need to talk to you. And Tim appears behind her, and he just says, always. So I don't think this is the real Tim. I, hard to believe he would just make himself known to Stephanie. I don't know if it's Clayface or if it's some computer program. I don't know. It should be interesting. Or is she just hallucinating? Maybe this is something the leader did to her. But either way, it was a great way to end the issue on. And just, like I said, more great character moments. So I'm going to give this one a three and a half out of five levels of frustration that uh, Dane had with Oakland becoming a big market team. Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm right there with you, Tim. Um, I, I think that might be a hologram of Tim because, I mean, she did say that he created, you know, the whole Belfry thing. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I think that's what that is. But like you say, like you said, uh, great character moments in this, especially with Clayface and um, um, Steph talking to uh, Leslie Tompkins, how Clayface – you know, when he's in that clay form, he he's 
Clayface. He's a villain, you know. He can't control himself. And, and Stephanie, how she she's blaming Batman for, for all of this. Rightfully so. I mean, you, you can kind of see her um, her point of view. Um, mm, I don't know. Like, a little bit. But I think she went overboard. Yeah, but, I mean, again, you're not looking at her point of view where she kind of thinks that Batman is this you know, cold person that he doesn't really care about them. He only cares about controlling them so that they don't become um, his enemies, right? Um, and, and even Batwoman, there's a there, there's like a little scene where she's she's looking at uh, the cameras that are looking at um, her her dad and his uh, his people in the in, in the jail cells and how she. Seems like she really wants to talk to him, but she's refraining from that because she's afraid somehow. Um, so, so yeah, really, really great character moments. There's not a lot of action in this scene. Um, the victim syndicate uh, go after uh, Leslie, Tom- Leslie Tompkins' um, uh, free clinic. Uh, Azrael's there, Jean-Paul Valley uh, brings out the sword, the flaming sword. Yeah, it's a little of that, right? Too. <laughs> I, know. I haven't read much of Azrael in a long yeah. time, pretty much since Nightfall, <laughs> the ones wow. I really cared about. Wow. Him, so. <laughs> I mean, I know he showed up kind of late pre-New 52 issues, yeah. but nothing really great. So He, he did have his own series before um, before the New 52, remember that? Yeah, I remember. I remember <laughs> Gary hated no, that no, he loved so it. much. He loved. Oh, that's right. You guys got on him for yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> loved uh, that Azrael series. I, I, I can't even I, remember, yeah, I remember who wrote that. Do you know Tim? Yeah. Know. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, like both of us said, uh, great character moments. Not a lot happens in this, which I'm so happy for. Um, it, it's just pretty much. Kind of like the 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 Joker Batman scene in uh, Dark the, the Dark Knight, is just people sitting in rooms, which is really great to see. Yeah. Uh, James Tenney did a really really good job writing this one. So, um, and, and the art was great. It's a di- it's a different style. Is it a different artist, Tim? I think they had different artists artists throughout. Yeah, the yeah, issue. right, right. Yeah, that's what it that's what it seemed like. Uh, but but great art overall. Um, yep. So I'm going to give this four out of five um, levels of anger, le- levels of disappointment, I should say, Tim, that I have that the A's are now considered a large market team. Yeah, so this issue, you're pretty happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Wonder Woman 11, Tim. Yeah, so now we're finally getting the last part of the lie storyline, but to be honest, it didn't feel like a conclusion. <laughs> it felt like there's definitely more to come after this and more answers that we need to what happened in this issue. So uh, the big thrust of it is that Diana and Steve, they found the mascara. So now uh, they're having like this feast and celebratory dinner that both of them have returned and Diana's there with her mother. And, you know, Diana's saying, oh, I thought you were dead and that referencing the stuff that happened like in the new 52 and i have to say i stopped reading one of the new 52 after brian azzarello's great run and then the finches t- took over which i heard wasn't that great so but apparently some stuff happened in there to some characters that i was familiar with in the azzarello run where you know 
she's saying that uh, she became the god of war after Ares died and that uh, her and Zola and her son Zeke were a big focus of the Azarella storyline. They were all turned to clay. And so, but I never knew that. But apparently, this isn't affecting uh, Queen Hippolyta at all because she's just happy that uh, Diana's back. But Steve, he starts to realize things aren't quite right when he goes uh, seeking uh, one of the Amazons who helped him uh, when he first crash landed, who we saw in the year one story was uh, Castelia, I believe the priestess who helped him. And one of the Amazon he runs into, he says, There's, like, I don't know that name, and you shouldn't be here just alone as a male. So Diana comes, and they start talking about how things seem off and just wrong about this place. He was saying how they can even talk to each other now when before we they couldn't. And Diana's not remembering that. All the stuff we're getting more familiar with in year one, Diana's having a hard time remembering exactly what's going on. So once they're starting to have their doubts, Diana starts, her wrist starts hurting. And just like this black blood starting to come out of it. And so they make their way down to the certain different part of the Miscaria, almost like this grass field of empty plains. And Diana's just questioning why can't she remember having her doubts? And then that pain just starts getting worse in her wrist. And she starts telling Steve that it was an injury that happened a while ago before even he uh, landed on the island. And as they take the bracelet off, they see like these. Uh, marks and the blood that's on her hand and then this big light comes out and there's this great panel here where it shows a tree and like shattered glass just coming apart and we get the big reveal where you just see Wonder Woman just on the floor in tears and she just goes this isn't my home like all these years it's never been my home it's all just a lie and I'm kind of took it as everything we read in the New 52 at least stuff that took place on the mascara wasn't happening it wasn't true because what's being implied here is that in which she even says ever since she left the island with steve that we saw in year one she's never been back there so <laughs> this is just going into more of the speculation okay what exactly is going on here is this going to tie into more dr manhattan meddling with the dc universe and the memories especially with one woman in this case of what she has so what actually happened to her and what actually is a lie which is why I said this doesn't feel like a conclusion to the stories that's titled The Lies, where it just raises so much more questions. So definitely a great issue as far as, you know, getting another big reveal in Wonder Woman's history and just what exactly <laughs> is the struggle that she's going through as far as remembering stuff that actually happened to her. So still continuing to have me be hooked and invested in the story. So I'm going to give this one four out of five levels of anger, frustration, disappointment, all that stuff Dane has with the Oakland A's right now, becoming a big market team. Um, yeah. Um, uh, again, I'm right there with you with uh, Wonder Woman number 11. Um, it was a great review at the end. It, it took me a while to understand what was going on. Um, you, you yeah. really had to reread that part that she's not she, she's never been back to uh, the original Themyscira. It, it's it's all been a lie. Not to use the title in <laughs> in my review, but um, yeah, that it's all been a lie, and it's it's pretty sad that uh, you know she's never been back, and she's thought this whole time that she's been back to Themyscira, and uh, that. Greg Rucka just does a good job with it. Um, like you said, it didn't really feel like a conclusion, especially with the um, the thing, uh, the part of the story that's, uh, or 
I can't remember her name. What's her name? Uh, Candy. Oh, yeah, okay, her yeah, part of the whole... story. Um, I, where is that leading to, Tim? I know it seems totally separate because yeah. you got like this big corporate CEO with these dogs. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe they're something from like uh, Greek mythology, or I was going to say like they're like Cerberus, the dog of the guardian of the <laughs> gates of the oh, underworld. That doesn't have three heads. <laughs> if she had three dogs, maybe it could have been, but <laughs> it wasn't. But they're definitely not normal dogs. She and she just you know six them off on candy as she discovers that her partner was actually a robot yeah. and trying to figure out what this CEO is actually doing. So Yeah, and the, I, I I don't really know how that has to deal with Wonder Woman right now. Um, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman and Steve were in Fake Themyscira. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. Yeah. <laughs> how about uh, Fake Scamara? <laughs> Fake mascara. Fake mascara. So yeah, they're off of uh, in in the fake uh, mascara, and um, I don't really know what this this plot is. Maybe they're building up to the next storyline, but for what it is, it's a pretty good conclusion to to the lie storyline. we see Diana trying to get back to Themyscira. She gets back to Themyscira, and it's revealed to be a fake one. And now, what is she going to do? You know, how is she going to get back to the original, real Themyscira? You know, so I guess we have that to look forward to. Not sure about this candy storyline. Um, don't know where that's going, but maybe it'll tie in really nicely. We we'll just have to wait and see. So uh, for this, uh, the, uh, also the art was really good. Um, especially in the 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 fake Themyscira, um scenes, I, I really enjoyed the art in this one. Um, so for this issue, I'm going to give it four out of five uh, levels of disappointment that uh, I have that the A's are considered a large market team for some reason, even though they had the they had the fourth lowest payroll in 20, <laughs> 2016 and they had the second lowest attendance and. They've tried and tried to get a new stadium in uh, Santa Clara, I think it was, and San Jose, and they're still at the Coliseum. So, <laughs> that was a, a long one for the score review. <laughs> Imagine if you had to say that for every score. I couldn't remember all of it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, that's it for comic book reviews, and uh, I guess that's it for the episode, right, Tim? Yeah, that's good. All right, good. so well, it's actually our last episode before Rogue One comes out. So take a while to guess what we're going to be talking about on our next yeah. one. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about um, what movie comes around, comes out around then. I think Assassin's Creed comes out too. Yeah, we're going to be talking. Rogue One's probably going to overshadow. We're going to be talking about Assassin's Creed, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess more video game talk <laughs> over Rogue One. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, go over to thebatmanuniverse.net on Facebook at facebook.com slash thebatmanuniverse or on Twitter. The Twitter handle is at batmanuniverse. The show's Twitter handle is at batfanspodcast. Tim's Twitter handle is at timg311. I'll say it. Thank you, Dane. And my Twitter handle is at Dane says banana. Um, you can email the show at batfanswithoutpants at gmail.com. And uh, rate and review us on iTunes if you can, because um, we can use more iTunes reviews, right, Tim? 
Yeah, those are always nice to get, so it'd be much appreciated if we got some more positive reviews. <laughs> yeah, Mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, we got to be fair to Mark. He gave us oh, a review. Did? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, never mind. Sorry about that, Mark. <laughs> uh, but no email this week. Come on, Mark. Who's <laughs> that? I, I mean, I guess... I guess after the Cubs won, he thinks he's better than us. <laughs> <laughs> In our Twitter exchange, he tried to convert me to become more of a Cubs fan than a Yankees <laughs> fan. But I'm like, no, the Yankees are still number one. <laughs> oh, man, that... That was a great Game 7. Oh, one of the best. Yeah. yeah. Classic. I, I actually bought the Game 7 on iTunes. The, the, really? I didn't even know they sell them. On, yeah, yeah. They, that's pretty they, cool. I, I think they have all of the World Series going back, I'd say, like five, six years that you can buy. Wow, I never knew that. Huh. It's like two ninety nine. Because I was just planning to get probably the Blu-ray that comes out for, like, recaps the whole World Series. Yeah. That, so that'd probably be cool to get. I didn't know they actually have where you can buy the game. Yeah, you can buy individual games, or you can buy all of them. Uh, you can even buy, um, uh, you, you know, like those champion. They have those championship uh, DVDs and stuff that they. Yeah. Yeah, you can buy that. Um, so yeah, if you if you if you want to see the the end of uh, or or game seven, you know. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> Um, that's it from us so uh, like we say at the end of every single episode just remember feeling alone in this world just remember that Tim and Dane do in fact care about you right Tim with all of our hands with all of our hats with all of our hearts yeah so I guess hats said, too if we're wearing them <laughs> so that being said we'll see you guys next time See you later.